Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of child abuse, sexual assault, violence, and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Early one morning in June 2015, Stephanie Godijohn found an unexpected envelope in her mailbox. It was stuffed to the brim with something and made a slight clink when she picked it up. Though it piqued her curiosity since it was addressed to her 27-year-old son, Nick, she resisted the urge to tear it open. Instead, she shuffled over to her son's bedroom and handed him the package. He hurriedly thanked her, then closed and locked his bedroom door before she could ask any questions. Inside, Nick turned to 23-year-old Gypsy Rose and lifted the envelope triumphantly. Gypsy Rose breathed a sigh of relief. She helped Nick tear the envelope open and pulled out the treasure they'd been waiting for, $4,400 in cash. She spread the bills out on the bed and gazed at them with wonder. This was it, her ticket to a new life, the happily ever after she and Nick deserved. But before they could really celebrate, the couple had some unfinished business to attend to. The money wasn't the only thing in the envelope. Gypsy Rose reached back inside and carefully fished out a curved hunting knife. Sunlight streamed through the window and glinted off the long serrated blade. It was terrifying just to look at, let alone think about what it had been used for. Nick snatched the knife from Gypsy Rose's hands and grinned. Once they got rid of it, he told her, they would finally be free. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim, or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Last week, we discussed the abusive relationship between Gypsy Rose Blanchard and her mother, Dee Dee. Seeking control, attention, and money, Dee Dee convinced everyone that her daughter suffered from leukemia, muscular dystrophy, and other debilitating illnesses. Dee Dee wanted Gypsy Rose to be her puppet, but as her daughter grew older, it became increasingly difficult to pull her strings. This week, we'll find out the way Gypsy Rose finally escaped with the help of her online boyfriend, Nicholas Godijohn. We'll also discuss how the world reacted when they learned that Gypsy Rose Blanchard was, and always had been, perfectly healthy. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. In the summer of 2015... Tensions reached ahead at the Blanchard House in Springfield, Missouri. 48-year-old Dee Dee didn't know much about her daughter Gypsy Rose's long-distance boyfriend, but she could tell he was a bad influence. Gypsy Rose was growing increasingly difficult for her to control. Psychologists overwhelmingly agree that Dee Dee experienced a psychological phenomenon known as Munchausen syndrome by proxy. In order to gain sympathy and money, she fabricated or induced illnesses in her daughter. For most of Gypsy Rose's life, Dee Dee controlled her by keeping her isolated, infantilized, and sedated. As Gypsy Rose grew older, she allegedly forced more drugs through her daughter's feeding tube, hoping they would sap Gypsy Rose's will to fight. At age 23, Gypsy Rose still hadn't uncovered the full extent of her mother's deception. She falsely believed she had leukemia, muscular dystrophy, and epilepsy. She'd forgotten her birthday and no longer knew her real age. But even as the sedatives weakened her body and confused her mind, Gypsy Rose could tell something had to change. She knew she could walk and eat on her own. And she knew her mother was hiding a secret so terrible that she would do anything, even torment her own daughter, to keep it under wraps. Most importantly, Gypsy Rose knew that if she ever hoped to escape, she would have to do something extreme. In May 2015, on a night when she was feeling more desperate than ever, she asked for help from her boyfriend. She told Nick she needed to talk to his evil personality. 27-year-old Nick convinced Gypsy Rose that he had dissociative identity disorder early on in their relationship. Although he was never formally diagnosed and likely didn't have this illness, he used various alter egos when messaging her. One of these characters, Nick's evil personality, was cruel and violent, even bloodthirsty. Feeling like she had no other options, Gypsy Rose asked Nick's evil side, to kill her mother. He was happy to oblige. Over the next couple of weeks, Gypsy Rose and Nick planned Dee Dee's murder. They tossed around different ideas from poisoning to gunfire, 
until they eventually decided stabbing would be the most effective method. They texted about the crime almost constantly. In one message, Gypsy Rose referred to Nick's evil personality as an entirely different individual. She asked Nick, "Hun, does he require just the gloves and the knife? Nick responded, "Hun, that side of me expects duct tape too, to muffle her. In their conversation, Gypsy Rose and Nick didn't speak as if they were the ones planning the murder. It was up to their evil alter egos. Before I continue with their psychology, please note, I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. According to Dr. David Robson, a journalist who specializes in psychology and neuroscience, adopting an alter ego is an extreme form of self-distancing. Under normal circumstances, self-distancing can provide psychological benefits. Robson also wrote that self-distancing allows people to rein in undesirable feelings like anxiety. But for Gypsy Rose and Nick, self-distancing played a more sinister role. Acting as if their evil personalities were separate entities allowed them to minimize their guilt about killing Dee Dee. It gave them the psychological distance they needed to follow through. When the day finally came, Nick's evil personality was all too ready. He told Gypsy Rose that some part of him was actually looking forward to committing murder. On June 9th, 2015, they set their plan into motion. That afternoon, Dee Dee took Gypsy Rose to a routine appointment at a local hospital, possibly to have her feeding tube changed. While Gypsy Rose was with the doctor, 27-year-old Nick boarded a Greyhound bus from Big Bend, Wisconsin. The ride to Springfield, Missouri took about eight hours. By the time he arrived, the sun was setting. He checked into a motel and sat on the edge of the bed, waiting for the text from Gypsy. Back at the Blanchard's home, Dee Dee was being nicer to her daughter than usual, almost as if she suspected something bad was going to happen. Before she went to bed that night, she allegedly asked Gypsy Rose not to hurt her. But Dee Dee had already pushed her daughter too far. Something in Gypsy Rose had broken. When her mother went to sleep, she texted Nick that it was time to act. A short while later, Nick crept down the Blanchard Street to their bright pink house. He tiptoed up the wheelchair ramp that Habitat for Humanity had constructed for Gypsy Rose, the girl who everyone thought was too sick to walk. Nick knew better than the charities, the doctors, and the neighbors. With his phone screen bright against the dark night, he texted Gypsy Rose that he was outside. She answered the door, standing on her own two feet. Nick slipped inside and made his way to the living room. He was struck by the mess. Stacks of clothing, boxes, and random medical devices were strewn about the floor. Under the dim light of a single lamp, Gypsy Rose handed him a pair of gloves, a roll of duct tape, and a serrated hunting knife with a six-inch blade. They didn't waste any time. Gypsy Rose led Nick down the main hallway of her home. On one end was Dee Dee's room, on the other a small bathroom. The couple nodded to each other. It was now or never. Gypsy Rose snuck into the bathroom, locked the door, and covered her ears. 
She didn't want to hear what was about to happen. Nick embraced his evil side and padded into Dee Dee's bedroom. He wasn't quite quiet enough because as soon as he walked inside, the 48-year-old rolled over and woke up. Dee Dee had seen Nick before, but she didn't recognize him in the darkness. According to Nick, she demanded to know who he was. Nick responded, I'm your nightmare. Then he lunged. Dee Dee screamed, but wasn't fast enough to escape. Blind with rage, Nick thought about all the horrible things Dee Dee had done to her daughter. He brought the knife down on her again and again. In the end, he stabbed her 17 times. From her spot in the bathroom, Gypsy Rose listened to her mother's muffled cries. She pressed her palms over her ears, but she couldn't block out the sounds. She squeezed her eyes shut and curled in the fetal position on the hard floor. She felt like she was being pulled in two different directions at once. A part of her wanted to run into Dee Dee's bedroom, pull the knife out of Nick's hands and save her mother's life. But mostly, she was too terrified to move at all. She almost wished she could stay there, pressed against the cold tile forever. Then, everything went quiet. Gypsy Rose waited for another scream, but it never came. She knew her mother was dead, but she didn't feel any relief, only nausea. Her life had been one long nightmare, and somehow, it had just gotten even worse. She didn't know if she could ever face what she and Nick had done. She stayed still, staring at the white tile until Nick finally knocked on the door. She forced herself to her feet and let him inside. Nick's eyes were wide, but he wasn't unhappy. In fact, he seemed exhilarated. He pulled Gypsy Rose up and dragged her to her bed. According to Nick, they had consensual sex. Gypsy Rose, on the other hand, claimed she asked him to stop, but he didn't. He bit her and left her bruised. For Gypsy Rose, it was one trauma after another. When Nick finally got off of her, she rose from her bed in a daze. She made a disoriented lap around her pink house. She wiped off surfaces Nick might have left fingerprints on, took a stack of $100 bills from her mother's safe, and haphazardly packed a bag of clothing. Nick rinsed the blood off the hunting knife, made sure his clothes were free of stains, then led Gypsy Rose outside. He called a cab to take them back to his motel. By the time they made it to Nick's room, Gypsy Rose's shock was beginning to fade. The further she got from the pink house, the easier it was to pretend that nothing had happened. She forced away thoughts of her mother, of the bloodied knife, and of what Nick had done to her. She focused her mind on her newfound freedom instead. Unfortunately for Gypsy Rose, the guilt came in waves. No matter how hard she tried, she wouldn't be able to ignore the thought of her mother's body lying alone in that pink house. Coming up, Gypsy Rose's remorse overwhelms her. 
Hi, listeners. It's Carter from ParCast, and I am thrilled to tell you about a new limited series I'm hosting just in time for Father's Day. It's called Devious Dads, and it introduces you to some of the most feared, fraudulent, and fatal fathers in history. Every Sunday on Spotify, discover the men who started out as role models and ended up becoming real-life criminals, like Wall Street financier Bernie Madoff, whose billion-dollar Ponzi scheme destroyed countless families, including his own. Or Marvin Gaye Sr., whose envy and resentment towards his son's successful music career drove him to murder. Each episode of Devious Dads has been handpicked from shows across the ParCast network, shining a light on the men who are far more wicked than wise. This summer, catch a glimpse of the frightening side of fatherhood. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Devious Dads. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On June 29, 2015, 27-year-old Nicholas Godijohn fatally stabbed his girlfriend's abusive mother, 48-year-old Dee Dee Blanchard. With the murder weapon and around $4,400 in cash, he and 23-year-old Gypsy Rose fled to a motel in Springfield, Missouri. There, Gypsy Rose oscillated between ecstasy and remorse. She was happy to finally be free, but she already missed her mother. She never really wanted Dee Dee to die. She just wanted to escape the abuse. Now that it was over, she felt guilty and anxious about what would happen if she and Nick got caught. Meanwhile, Nick was calm. Compared to Gypsy Rose, he seemed to feel relatively little remorse. According to Dr. Kent Franks, a psychologist familiar with the case, this was likely because Nick's ability to understand the gravity of what was taking place was more childlike than adult. Dr. Franks argued that as a result of his below average IQ and the fact that he was on the autism spectrum, Nick had the cognitive abilities of someone between the ages of 11 and 12. Dr. Franks claimed that Nick truly lacked the mental capacity to realize what he'd done. This led Nick to feel like, from a moral perspective, he was doing the right thing. Nick honestly believed that the only way to help Gypsy Rose was to murder her mother. In his mind, Dee Dee's death was necessary and justified. He thought less about getting caught and more about sharing a bed with his girlfriend. He held tight to the fantasy that he and Gypsy Rose could build a normal life together after what they'd done. The best place to start that life, he reasoned, was with his parents. They had a house in Big Bend, Wisconsin, where he and Gypsy Rose could stay rent-free. The next day, June 10th, they bought bus tickets from Springfield to Big Bend. But Gypsy Rose was afraid to travel with the knife and money. 
she convinced Nick to package up the items and mail them to his parents' house. Clearly, the plan was far from perfect. Gypsy Rose labeled the envelope with their real names, meaning that if it was intercepted, it would lead authorities straight to them. Regardless, it made her feel safer to drop the envelope in a public mailbox. Eight hours later, Nick's mother and stepfather picked them up at the Greyhound station. They heard about Gypsy Rose, but didn't know her life story, so they weren't surprised to see her walking on her own. The only thing that struck them as odd was the wig she was wearing. It was long, dark, and obviously artificial. It looked like a cheap disguise. Even so, they didn't ask any questions. Nick had never had a girlfriend before, and they were excited to welcome Gypsy Rose into their home. Over the next few days, Gypsy Rose and Nick made plans for their future. They would rent an apartment, Nick would get a job, Gypsy Rose would go to a doctor and find out what kind of illnesses she really had. Now that she'd spent days without her regular medication and felt fine, she started to suspect she was completely healthy. At some point, the package they'd sent from Springfield arrived. Nick's mother handed it to them without checking what was inside. Nick was ecstatic, but even as she planned her life in Wisconsin, Gypsy Rose agonized over what was happening in Springfield. Every day, she got on the computer and checked for news reports about her mother. She scoured the internet for any crumbs of information about Dee Dee, but there was nothing. In her attempts to isolate Gypsy Rose, Dee Dee had cut ties with everyone who cared about her. She had no friends and nobody to check up on her. Five days had passed since her violent death, and no one had discovered her body. The thought brought tears to Gypsy Rose's eyes. She imagined her mother starting to decompose. Gypsy Rose knew she was responsible for Dee Dee's death, and the waves of regret were suffocating. She couldn't take back what she'd done, but she resolved to be better from that point forward. She wouldn't leave her mother to rot, She'd make sure Dee Dee was found and given a proper burial. Gypsy Rose wanted her mother's body to be discovered, but she didn't want to get arrested in the process. She had to lead neighbors or police to the pink house without implicating herself or Nick in the crime. Again, she came up with a plan that was less than foolproof. Around 2.30 p.m. on June 14, 2015, she used Nick's computer to log onto her mother's Facebook account. She posted a strange, out-of-character status message that suggested Dee Dee had been murdered. Her online friends were immediately concerned. Some people commented, asking if everything was okay. At about 4 p.m., Gypsy Rose, pretending to be a person who hacked Dee Dee's account, left a violent and suggestive reply. At that point, a neighbor named Kim became worried for the Blanchard's safety. She and her husband, David, ran down the street to the pink house. The front door was locked. They rang the doorbell, but although Dee Dee's car was parked in the driveway, nobody answered. Kim called Springfield police to request a wellness check. While they waited for the authorities to arrive, David attempted to climb in through one of the living room windows. 
He couldn't make it all the way inside, but he got far enough to see Gypsy Rose's wheelchairs were left behind. There were no signs of robbery or forced entry. The house was eerily quiet. David squeezed back out the window. A few minutes later, police showed up to take statements from the growing crowd. Everyone said they were worried for Gypsy Rose's safety. They told officers she was mentally and physically disabled and that without her mother, she might not be able to survive. Locals begged authorities to go inside the pink house, but officers couldn't break down the door until they received a search warrant. They waited nearly seven hours for the warrant to come in. By 11 p.m., only a few worried onlookers, including Kim and David, remained outside the Blanchard's front door. They watched as officers knocked it down. Police stepped inside to find a wreck. Between the scattered furniture, boxes, and stacks of food, the floor was barely visible. Multiple wheelchairs sat around the living room, but it seemed like they'd be difficult to use in such a cluttered environment. Officers moved down the home's main hallway, opening every door they passed. Gypsy Rose's bedroom was empty. A coat closet practically overflowed with clothing and hangers. Most disturbingly, the linen closet had been filled floor to ceiling with pill bottles and boxes of medication. It seemed impossible for one person to need so many drugs. It looked like an at-home pharmacy. Just then, an officer noticed a trail of blood leading out of Dee Dee's bedroom. He followed the red droplets and found her body lying on the bed. It was just starting to decay. Police trudged outside to deliver the gruesome news. Kim was horrified. She worried Gypsy Rose had been kidnapped. She couldn't stop imagining the sick girl, scared, alone, and unable to function without her mother. With no other way to help, she organized a candlelight vigil in Gypsy Rose's honor and set up a GoFundMe to pay for Dee Dee's funeral. Officers launched straight into an investigation and questioned the neighbors. Only 23-year-old Aaliyah Woodmansey, Gypsy Rose's closest friend, could think of anyone who might want to hurt Dee Dee. She told authorities that Gypsy Rose's secret boyfriend, Nick Godijohn, might be capable of violence. Law enforcement looked into Nick's background and found he had a criminal record. Two years prior, he'd reportedly been arrested for watching pornography at a McDonald's in Wisconsin. When they traced the IP address that posted the threatening Facebook status, it led them straight to the go-to-John's home in Big Bend. The next morning, Wisconsin authorities raided the house. After a brief standoff, Nick surrendered. Officers found 23-year-old Gypsy Rose, who they believed to be 19 and severely disabled, hiding in a back room. They were surprised to find her healthy. She'd been without her wheelchair, feeding tube, and other medications for days. They were even more astounded when Gypsy Rose stood up and walked towards them. She let officers clasp handcuffs around her wrists and explained that, as far as she knew, her illnesses had been a total farce. She could walk and eat without help. She suspected that she didn't suffer from leukemia 
epilepsy, muscular dystrophy, or any of the other diseases Dee Dee had claimed. Police realized they had a bombshell case on their hands. They publicly announced that two suspects had been arrested for Dee Dee Blanchard's murder, but they didn't release any details. Before holding a proper press conference, they took Gypsy Rose and Nick back to Missouri to question them. At first, Gypsy Rose pretended to be shocked by the news of her mother's death, but detectives pressed her until she finally broke down and admitted that she saw murder as her only way out. Nick corroborated her story. He confessed to stabbing Dee Dee, but told police that without Gypsy Rose's influence, he never would have resorted to murder. With this information, police had a relatively easy time ironing out the details of the crime. Between Facebook posts, text messages, and security footage from the motel, Gypsy Rose and Nick had left a trail of clues that even the worst detective could follow. How the murder unfolded was obvious, but the story behind it was practically impossible to believe. Dee Dee Blanchard had managed to dupe doctors, neighbors, charities, and even Gypsy Rose's own father for decades. She shaved her daughter's head, forced her into a wheelchair, and pushed her in front of cameras like a tragic set piece. She gladly accepted praise and sympathy from neighbors and strangers alike. During their formal press briefing, Missouri authorities only gave reporters a cryptic message. Things inside the Blanchard's pink house were not at all what they seemed. Coming up, the world learns about Dee Dee Blanchard's cruel, elaborate ruse. Now, back to the story. After 23-year-old Gypsy Rose Blanchard posted a concerning status on her mother's Facebook account, authorities discovered 48-year-old Dee Dee dead in her home. The IP address of the Facebook post led police to Big Bend, Wisconsin, where Gypsy Rose and her boyfriend, 27-year-old Nicholas Godijohn, were hiding. Officers arrested them both on June 15, 2015. The next day, Missouri authorities announced that Gypsy Rose's supposed disabilities were a con. They'd all been part of Dee Dee's bizarre pursuit of money, sympathy, and control. The news sent Springfield neighbors into a whirlwind of mixed emotions. They felt cheated and taken advantage of, but they also felt guilty for not seeing through the ruse sooner. Suddenly, Small things like Gypsy Rose's quiet nature took on a new sinister meaning. Neighbors had been living next to a monster for years without even realizing. Major charities felt similarly manipulated. Doctors wondered how Dee Dee's abuse, which now seems so obvious, could have slipped by them for decades. One might hope that typical medical protocol would help children like Gypsy, but Munchausen syndrome by proxy is so rare that most doctors and charity workers are not trained to recognize it. In 23 years of regular medical appointments, only one physician suspected Gypsy Rose was being abused. He never reported Dee Dee to police or Child Protective Services. She was failed by the institutions that were supposed to protect her. 
The nonprofits and medical professionals who knew Gypsy Rose personally were shaken. They couldn't help but treat patients and caregivers with a new level of suspicion. But no one felt worse than Gypsy Rose's own family. The truth of the case hit her father, 41-year-old Rod Blanchard, the hardest. He'd been sending Dee Dee $1,200 a month since Gypsy Rose was just three months old. All this time, he'd unwittingly funded his daughter's abuse. He didn't know how to face himself, let alone reconnect with his daughter. But Gypsy Rose wasn't angry with Rod. She was hurt, but only because Dee Dee had spent years convincing her that her father never wanted a sick child. She didn't know about Rod's financial support. She thought he'd simply abandoned her. In the aftermath of the crime, Gypsy Rose learned that the world she once knew was a total lie. She couldn't trust anything her mother had told her. She grew up drugged and confused. Now, at 23 years old, she desperately searched for truth. As she sat behind bars, Gypsy Rose knew Rod was the only family she had left. She had to at least try to reach out to him. If he didn't want anything to do with her, she would be totally alone. But if he agreed to be her father again, he could anchor her to reality. He could teach her how to live a normal life. She chewed on her nails while the phone rang. For a moment, she worried no one would answer. She imagined Rod's face contorting with disgust when he learned that his daughter was a killer. He probably hated her for what she'd done. Her heart skipped a beat when he finally picked up. He sounded surprisingly soft, almost apologetic. Gypsy Rose's eyes welled up. She could hear the kindness in her father's voice. Gypsy Rose couldn't stop herself from rambling. She begged Rod to understand that she hadn't been a willing participant in Dee Dee's schemes. She couldn't find the words to explain how afraid she'd been, how desperate the years of abuse had made her feel. All she could do was sob and hope her father would forgive her. Of course, Gypsy Rose never needed to ask for Rod's forgiveness. He blamed himself for enabling Dee Dee's abuse and for allowing her to drive them apart. He assured his daughter that, sick or not, he wouldn't abandon her from that point forward. Unfortunately, there was little Rod could do to influence Gypsy Rose's trial. She had her father's love and forgiveness, but she would have to face the judge all on her own. Luckily, things looked relatively good for her. Because of the extensive abuse she suffered and the fact that she didn't actually stab her mother, the state chose to charge her with second-degree murder. To simplify the proceedings and reduce her potential prison time, she pleaded guilty. On July 5, 2016, a judge sentenced 24-year-old Gypsy Rose Blanchard to 10 years behind bars. Nick, on the other hand, faced a more complicated legal battle. Because he'd stabbed Dee Dee, he was charged with first-degree murder. The only way he could avoid life in prison was by pleading not guilty and making a convincing case that he was mentally incompetent. Psychologist Dr. Kent Franks testified at the trial. He characterized Nick as an incredibly suggestible young man. 
The defense argued that Gypsy Rose made Nick fall in love with her, then coerced him into killing her mother. There was some truth to the defense. Gypsy Rose had asked Nick to wield the knife because she was too frail and probably too afraid to do it herself. But though she gladly accepted his help, she didn't really manipulate him. She didn't have to. Nick was a willing participant in the crime. Prosecuting attorneys had countless Facebook and text messages in which Nick expressed not just a willingness, but a desire to commit the murder. Ultimately, the jury found 28-year-old Nicholas Godijohn guilty. On February 22, 2019, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, as well as a concurrent sentence of 25 years for armed criminal action. Today, Nicholas Godijohn is held at the Potosi Correctional Center in Mineral Point, Missouri. He and Gypsy Rose have fallen out of contact, but in recent interviews, he spoke of their relationship positively. When asked about his time with Gypsy Rose, Nick told one reporter, those were probably the best days of my life. I enjoyed every second of it. From the very beginning, I knew we were soulmates. He went on to say that if he had the opportunity to go back in time, he wouldn't do anything differently. He professed his love for Gypsy Rose and maintained that all he wanted to do was protect her. Most recently, Nick asked a county judge to set aside his murder conviction. If his conviction is overturned, he will serve just 25 years for armed criminal action. A decision has yet to be made on the matter. Meanwhile, Gypsy Rose hasn't publicly weighed in on Nick's sentencing or his attempt to get his conviction removed. She has said that she feels sorry for him, but it's clear that she has no desire to continue their relationship. Gypsy Rose Blanchard is currently held at the Chillicothe Correctional Facility in Chillicothe, Missouri. For the first time in her life, her hair has grown past her shoulders. She walks and eats normally. The only medical devices she needs are a pair of contact lenses. But although she's no longer poked and prodded by doctors, journalists are almost always badgering her for interviews. She said in interviews that she deeply regretted her mother's death. If she could do it all over again, she claimed she would have reached out to her father before resorting to murder. Even so, Gypsy Rose believes that in some ways, jail has been good for her. She feels freer in prison than she ever did while living with Dee Dee. She's regained autonomy over her body and has hoped for a better future, starting with pursuing the education that Dee Dee never let her have. She's currently taking classes to receive her GED and exploring hobbies such as photography and cosmetology. Prison has also given her a more active social life. On top of in-person meetings with her father and stepmother, She's forged friendships with fellow inmates and received letters of support from people all around the country. One of her longtime pen pals, a man named Ken, recently became more than a friend. In 2018, Gypsy Rose announced that the two of them were engaged. Gypsy Rose told journalists that Ken's proposal was pretty romantic and that since their engagement, she started watching Say Yes to the Dress. 
She hasn't yet decided if she wants to have a small ceremony behind bars or if she wants to wait to have a larger wedding when she's released. For Gypsy Rose, the idea of leaving prison is both exciting and terrifying. She knows that adjusting to the outside world will be an uphill battle and that the abuse of her childhood will likely cause long-term difficulties. Clinical psychologist Dr. Kim Glazier has found that victims of Munchausen syndrome by proxy are vulnerable to developing anxiety, depression, and post-traumatic stress disorder as adults. Some victims become hyperfixated on maintaining bodily autonomy, leading them to have an intense fear of doctors and medical procedures. But Gypsy Rose has many reasons to be hopeful. Dr. Glazier has also found that some victims reported minor long-term symptoms and many fully recovered from their childhood abuse. While it's unlikely Gypsy Rose will come away from her experiences unscathed, she has a good chance of healing psychologically. She has a supportive family, a future husband, and access to counseling that will no doubt aid in her recovery. Gypsy Rose Blanchard is up for parole in 2024, at which point she will be 33 years old. Upon her release, she plans to share her story with the world. She says that spreading awareness of Munchausen syndrome by proxy and helping other victims of child abuse will be her never-ending life goal. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We'll be back Wednesday with another episode. You can find all episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Karis Allen, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, fact-checking by Haley Milligan, and research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. I'm Lainey Hobbs. Hey there, Carter again. As we close out, here's a reminder to check out my new podcast limited series, Devious Dads. For 10 weeks, we're exposing the men who were far more flawed than fatherly, ruining anyone who stood in their way, even their own families. Follow Devious Dads free only on Spotify.